pray. Father, thank you so much for each person that's here. So good to see everybody. Uh, thank you for what you're doing at Christ Church. Thank you for James being here. Good to see him again. And, and strengthen his body, please. Uh, thank you for the friendship that you've given us. Uh, please bless. Thank you for that precious baby boy, Tobias. And I ask that you'd use him to show the world that you're wonderful, you're worth serving, and he's going to learn those skills from his mom and dad. Uh, bless Rachel. Bless Clifford, please. Lord, thank you for Terry Hughes. And he's unashamed of you. You don't embarrass him at all. I'm proud of him for his service to our country, his courage. I'm grateful for his friendship. Thank you so much. Thank you for every person in the room. Thank you for Andrea, Lowry, Ed, and all the others who work and serve and make things happen here. I pray your blessings now in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. Excited. Um, this is Romans 12, 3 through 8. You're looking at an actual, the next paragraph based on the Greek text. And let me remind you, let's tie a couple things together. You remember from last Sunday, we pulled the last paragraph of the Greek text, which really pulls in the end of 11 and the first part of 12. So that when you get to the place in chapter 11, verse 36-ish, where it says, all things are from him, to him, and for him. And then we're to present our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable. This is a reasonable service of worship. When you tie this stuff together, you realize that when Paul starts talking about spiritual gifts, he's talking about that's a part of the giving of ourselves as a living sacrifice. You're talking about this is the stuff that comes from God. It's through him and it's for him that all this stuff happens. So listen closely, reading from the New American Standard Translation. The NAS tends to be, in my estimation, the most accurate, on average, to original Hebrew and original Greek. So it's just a really, really good translation. ESV is another really good translation. But NAS, I think, kind of nails it this morning, and I'll show you why in just a second. Let me read the text. For through the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but to think as to have sound judgment. As God has allotted to each a measure of faith, for just as we have many members in one body, and all the members do not have the same function, so we who are many are one body in Christ, and individually members of one another. Since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, each of us is to exercise them accordingly. If prophecy, according to the proportion of his faith, if service in his serving, or he who teaches in his teaching, or he who exhorts in his exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, he shows mercy with cheerfulness. So there's the paragraph. Now let's work through some uh, key steps in the text. I'm giving you some highlighted things to point out some stuff that's going to be important. The first thing I want you to see is notice this right here. Do you, do you see this phrase? It's italicized. Why? It's not in the original Greek text. Now, the ESV doesn't italicize it, and I think they make a mistake there. Though that phrase, Tommy, is not in the Greek text. It's not there. So why did the translators insert this as a kind of comment? It's because it's implied. The idea that you should exercise a gift is implied. And so they supply it for you 
but they italicize it so those of you who are reading critically will know that it's not actually in the original Greek text at all. Okay, So it's an implied thing. Now let me tell you, that's a big deal. Here's why. Um, those of you who work, um, uh, your jobs, uh, uh, Michael, your job, on Monday morning at 8 o'clock, did you have a meeting with your boss, and he reminds you of the 20 things you need to do this week? Do you have that meeting? No. That'd be silly. And if you had it every Monday, then it means, number one, you have some really critical problems, or your boss does, or both. And the fact is, it's assumed that you know that. And he doesn't have to tell you that's what you should do. You know how to do your jobs. It's expected that you do your job. And a boss who continually tells you to do the obvious, there's a problem when that happens. Something's going on. So the fact is, Paul doesn't comment because it's assumed that you know you have a gift. And it's assumed that, therefore, you've got enough spiritual wits about you that you realize you should use it. All right. So now check out this language, uh, the grace given to me, the grace given to us. Those are two kind of structural points that are going to anchor this paragraph. And Paul wants to build some things around those ideas. Everybody look real close. Pop quiz. What's the name of Paul's gift? Paul says the grace given to me. And grace, by the way, here is charis or charis and refers to a gift. The grace, the gifting given to me, I say, etc. What's Paul's gift? Do you see it? What's that? Exhortation? What, what does it say, though, in the text? Humility. Does it say it? No. His gift is unnamed. <laughs> it's unnamed. He doesn't say what his gift is. Is Paul being humble? Yeah. Maybe. Maybe. You know, not sure. He, the guy, he knows how to, to throw titles around. Paul does that very well. I'm an apostle. You better do what I say. <laughs> he knows how to throw down titles and rank. He can do that. But here he doesn't. I think he's being very gentle and very humble about it. But then look what he does about this grace given to us. He outlines seven gifts. Prophecy, according to the proportion of faith. Service, teaching, exhortation, giving, leading, diligence, and mercy. He spells those things out. So... A couple of other terms I want you to, uh, to appreciate. Uh, those who show mercy do so with cheerfulness. Here's the Greek word. Let me pronounce it and you tell me if you can hear an English echo. Hilariteti. Hilar, hilar. Sounds, sounds like hilarious. Exactly. That's the word. The word hilarious in Greek is hilaros. So if you have a ministry of mercy, you know how to be hilarious. Sounds disrespectful, doesn't it? To tell jokes to a crying person. It's not talking about telling jokes at all. It means this. In ancient culture, and during this period of time, if you had the ability to show mercy, it means you have the skill of consolation. The ability to show mercy means your ministry is demonstrating the skill of consolation. Do you know what a consoler does in ancient Mediterranean world? It shows you the reasons why you should stop your crying. That's what they do. It's time to stop the crying. It's time to stop the pouting. 
It's time to stop the depressive response to life. It's time to stop the, the emotional uh, tailspin that you're in. And it's time to find the right reasons to get happy. Ouch. Doesn't sound very sensitive, does it? <laughs> I've got the PhD dissertation of a scholar who did all of his research on letters of consolation as a type of writing in the ancient world. And he proves, I think, convincingly that the entire letter that Paul wrote to the Philippian church is a letter of consolation. And these are the reasons why you need to stop the crying, you need to put the Kleenex down, and it's time to grow, and it's time to understand you've got a lot of reasons to be happy. A lot. And one of those things you do is to start thinking about things like whatever is noble and right and pure and holy and lovely and worthy of praise. Think on these things. Paul knew what he was doing. So, grace is given to these people. Let's look at the gifts real quick. This is interesting. Uh, stay with me. Notice this. The prophecy is according to the proportion of faith. What does that mean? Guy, jump in on this one. Does that mean, let's use money as an illustration. If God gives Guy Lyons $5,000 worth of faith to be a prophet, but gives Lance only $5 to be a prophet, does that mean he's a big power prophet? And Lance is just going to be quiet. He'll just say a few prophetic things every now and then. But Lance, now boy, he's going to throw down as the big power prophet. Is that, what it, is that what it means? Proportion of faith? Or does it mean that Lance and Guy need to hit the faith gym and start using their faith muscle? And they need to get with the program and start using faith. Is that what it's about? Or is it about their ability to tap into God's resources and literally draw strength and draw wisdom from the Holy Spirit. When you figure that out, would you please let me know? And I'll put it in a blog and give your name you know, the, the, on the title of it. It'll be yours. I think it has a lot to do with uh, individual response. And here's why I know this. In 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12, Paul says, We don't dare compare ourselves by ourselves. Because in comparing ourselves by ourselves and measuring ourselves by ourselves, we are not wise. Guess what? That's exactly what was going on in the Corinthian church. You had certain power gifts, certain prophets who were loud. By the way, prophets have a lot to say, don't they? That's kind of a power gift. In fact, in 1 Corinthians 12, 13, 14, what's the one gift Paul wanted everybody to have? Prophecy. He wanted everybody to be a prophet in the church, to be able to speak the truth. Paul wanted that. And so yeah, it's, sometimes there's a little ego issue going on at the Corinthian church and the power, power prophets kind of competing with each other to see who could get the, the most oohs and ahs and amens in their, in their congregation. Things got a little heady at Corinth. And Paul had to rein them in and say, hey, hey, stop this measuring yourself by yourself stuff. It's very, very unwise. So, and then look at this. This is interesting. He says that, notice that prophecy is qualified by according to, the, to faith, proportion of faith. And look at service, teaching, and exhortation has no qualifications. It's almost redundant. If you have the gift of service, then serve. Well, duh, of course. If you have the gift of teaching, then teach. Well, of course. If you're an exhorter, exhort. Well, Paul, why are you being redundant? I think he's being redundant with those gifts because the idea of proportion of faith is intended to drop into those categories. 
In other words, if you're a prophet, do so based on your proportion of faith. If you're service, into service, if God's called you to service, do so out of your faith. If you're a, a giver, etc. I think it's kind of supplied. But look at this. He, he changes some things up. And he goes, if you're a giver, do so with liberality. That's a little bit of a corrective, isn't it? A little corrective. If you're a leader, do so with diligence. And if you show mercy, do so with cheerfulness. Why would Paul give a little corrective to those last three gifts? Here's why. Because those last three gifts are prone to some weakness. They're prone to some problems. For example, uh, the person who gives, if you take liberality and flip it on its head, what's the opposite of generosity? Stingy, being stingy. So there may be a tendency in the giver to be a little stingy. And, and maybe the Lord is saying, give five bucks, and you'll go, mm, I'll give a nickel. You know. And so you get a little stingy, and there's a problem there. How about this? The one who leads with diligence. What's the opposite of diligence? Lazy. What's that, lazy? Laziness. Yeah, I, I, I agree. It's not hardworking. Uh, what's that? Or careless. Or careless, yeah. Yeah, that's good, too. That's really maybe, good. too, this has to do, I mean, maybe this is just because I just read the animal farm. But, you know, the people who, the ones who were in leadership weren't diligent about leading leading well, they became, it became about taking power, taking power from themselves rather than being diligent about yeah. actually leading. Yeah, yeah. Did you know that there's a tendency in leaders to pout and quit? Terry's nodding his head. He's a leader. He's been on ship with a lot of leaders. Leaders have a tendency to get pouty, get their pouty pants on, and their quitter throw fitter pants on. Because you know why? They're not appreciated. That's why. They're not appreciated. Leaders have a tendency to get pouty and to quit. And they job hop, and they church hop, and they people hop. Exactly why. And when you're a true leader, you have the ability to dig deep and do the right things for the right reasons at the right time, and you don't quit. It's just real simple. By the way, of these seven gifts, they're all present active participle verbs. Okay? Present active, do it right now, get going. Participle, this is normal life. This is how we do life. It's characteristic of us to be merciful. It's characteristic of us to teach and serve, etc. Did you know the leadership gift is the only one in the list that's a middle voice participle? You know what that means? Do it for your own sake. I think God knows that leaders are pretty fragile critters sometimes. Leaders are emotionally fragile people, and they thrive on encouragement. And they feel like they're good leaders when people appreciate them. And when they don't, it's like, it's bad. And they go into a tailspin and they got to quit. Well, I'm going to find me another person to lead. That's what I'm going to do. And when that doesn't last long, they go into a tailspin and crash and burn. And they've got to find somebody else. And they people hop, church hop, job hop, hop hop. And it's just cycling through life looking for that, for that pat on the shoulder, guy. Okay? Isn't that the nature of Get 
what look like good results off his ear, off, off, you know, ear tickling. What the people want. And so yeah, so yeah. It's, it, maybe it's also because it's about the, the nature of leading, not just the person who is leading. All the above, guy. What happened to Moses? He relaxed, didn't he? He, he? he got careless, Ed. And God gave him a specific instruction as the leader of Israel, and he took matters into his own hand carelessly and forfeited his entrance into the promised land because yeah. of that. Yeah. Leaders can be quitter, throw fitters, and get pouty when they don't feel appreciated. So there's this middle voice. So it's like God is saying to the leader, hey, buddy, hey, guy, look, I know it's hard. For your own sake and your own sanity, you need to get tough. It's a middle voice for, you need to do this for your sake. It's very, very important, okay? And he who shows mercy with cheerfulness, you know, uh, when you give mercy and you're around people that, that have a big box of Kleenex, if you're not careful, you can become so broken, you can't pull them out of it. And that's why the person with the gift of mercy has got to learn to be wise and strong so that you can help help show them that there are some really good reasons why we need to cheer up and stop the crying. There is a time. All right. Now, interesting comment here. Pay attention to this one. Notice in verse 3, for through the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think. That's phronate. Think, phronate. It's used four times. Not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but to think as having sound thinking. That's a root for phronate. He's using it four times. In fact, sound judgment, for those of you who are wordsmiths, sozo, sozo phronane, it means literally safe thinking, is what it means. Sound judgment, to have safe thoughts about you in your mind. He does it four times. Now, you and I tend to not appreciate what Paul just did, word playing the word phronane out four times in one sentence. If you're in Rome and you heard that, you would go, it's ear candy to those with PhDs. Think of it that way. It's ear candy with those with PhD. Because in, in Paul's world, if you're a really smart, well-educated man, you always are skilled in public speaking. That's what you get your PhD in. There's, you don't get a PhD in astrophysics. You don't get a PhD in, in radio technology. You don't do that. It didn't exist. The educated populace were public speakers. They were rhetoricians. They spoke rhetoric, skilled argumentation, okay? And so by doing that, Paul is giving a little cultural clue that there's some high-headed, high-minded people in Rome, and they're a part of the church. And he used a little device that would make them go, ooh, oh, he's talking about us. In other words, it's a little clue that some of the people who are causing trouble in the church at Rome are very educated, high-status, elite people. And Paul says, you high-minded people, need to, you need to ratchet it down, and then you, you need to get a hold of some safe thinking about you believing you're superior to other people. And he's trying to level it out so that we understand regarding spiritual gifts, we are all the same. We are many, but we are one. We are one, but we are many. Now, let's do this, and I'm going to hand it off to you because this is going to be so good. Um, there are seven gifts that are listed. We've already, already looked at them. Notice what Paul doesn't say. 
Paul doesn't say, now remember, Romans 1 to 11, lots of doctrine, orthodoxy, right belief, switches gears in chapter 12, orthopraxy, right doing from the rest to the rest of the letter. And he does this amazing thing. Notice this, though, what he doesn't say. He doesn't say, now that I'm showing you what a transformed mind has looked like, you're being renewed and transformed in your mind, you're a living sacrifice. What I want you to do is to be a part of a church who has the most well-crafted, skilled programs compared to any other church in the, t- in the city. And that you have tremendous marketing skills and the coolest website, and you've got, you know how to do programs. Because that's what's going to really advance the kingdom. It's programs. And I want you to develop a full buffet of programs and push the kingdom through programs. Does he say anything about that? <laughs> how about this one, John? He says, what you really need to do, if you're going to do church well... You need a full complement of highly trained seminary grad staff. And what they're going to do is to take away all your responsibilities to use these gifts. And they're going to take it for themselves. And they're going to provide prophetic services, serving services, teaching services, encouraging services, giving services, merciful services, and so that you just get to come and watch the show. And please fund, fund the show on your way out. Please fund it on the way out. Bye. See you next Sunday. See you next show. Is it about the program? Is it about the staff? And if those of you, please don't take that personally. Don't take it. Hey, listen, it takes a lot of churches to make this world spin around. You know it? And some like chocolate and some like vanilla, and that's okay. I'm just telling you Paul doesn't do that. He doesn't. Do you know what makes the bride of Jesus, like, really good looking? Wow, she is a drop-dead gorgeous bride. This beautiful bride of Christ is when she walks in the room, she looks beautiful in prophecy. And if you're not sure what that is, it's not spooky kooky, okay? It's not psychobabble in Jesus' name. It's not that. When you look at 1 Corinthians 14.3, he spells it out very clearly. It's edification, exhortation, and consolation. Ooh, did I talk about consolation? There's a time to put the Kleenex box down. And stop the crying. Exhortation, you know what that is? It's beautiful in Greek. Parakalo. Parakalo. Paraclete. Does that sound familiar? Paraclete? What is it? Paraclete. You, you guys know that word. After all you've learned. Who said Holy Spirit? Whoever said that. Thank you, Margaret. It's Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit. Paraclete. Parakletos. Parakleo. It means to come. you're called alongside. It means this. Hey, Russ, can you do coffee with me next week? Let's do some coffee together. Just want to come sign. Let's just do life for a bit. Let's do it. Let's do it, man. Let's do it. Okay. Pericalo, I'm called alongside. Let's have coffee. Let's do life. Let's encourage each other. That's exhortation. That's what Paul says. It's one of the gifts that a prophet does as well as an individual. And then consolation. So we build up, edify. If you're a prophet, you build up. You strengthen. John, you do it all the time. This is stuff that shows edification. It's big timber. It's solid, it's strong, it, it edifies, it builds up, it edifice. It builds up, makes it strong. So a prophet does. Prophet also exhorts, hey, come on, come on, let's get some coffee, you gotta talk. And they also console, hey, 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 you gotta put the Kleenex down sometime. There's a time to put it down. Come on. Let's stop. Let's stop. So prophets do, okay? The bride of Christ is drop dead gorgeous when she knows how to do prophecy. When she knows how to serve quietly. Did you know this morning 
uh, Michelle Benson was just quietly here, getting the Lord's Supper table ready for the, for the service, not saying a word, not looking for someone to give her the selfie click while she's doing it, none of that. Just quietly doing it. I was here last night to, to show Martha Jane, she's our family from Nashville, the office and chat for a bit, and, and she brought a gift to, to make my office special, which I love. And while we're there, guess who pulls up? Randy and Andrew Sharp. Eight o'clock at night. Why? Just to come here and make sure the church was ready for Sunday. Just to secret, secretly be over here to do something, you know. Uh, just quietly serving. Boy, the bride is beautiful when that happens. Teaching. We need truth tellers. The bride of Christ is beautiful when she teaches. We need people who do paracalo. Paracaleo. They, they, call, they know how to call each other to their sides and encourage them. And the one who gives and the one who leads and the one who shows mercy. When she does those seven things, Paul thinks the church is beautiful. She's a beautiful bride. Okay? Paul didn't push the program. Paul didn't push the, the, the professional staff of the Western Business Church. That, uh, the Western Church has absorbed the Western business model. He didn't push that. He, pushed it, he pushes the Holy Spirit at work in a gifted body where everybody is pulling their weight on the farm. I saw a picture uh, in the news recently of uh, handicapped children going to a swimming class, and they had little uh, life safety floaties around their waist, and all of them had no arms. No arms. And they're all kind of kicking and splashing and just learning to play in the water. as little kids. Can you imagine not having arms? How hard it would be to function without arms. Can you imagine not having legs, not having hands, being blind? Can you imagine? Can you imagine a body of Christ where each part is like a body part, a foot, a hand, eyes, ears, nose, all of it, and then some of those parts being missing and not being used? It would have a crippling effect on the bride of Christ. Do you understand that we need each other? And this church becomes beautiful when every person knows their gifts and passionately functions out of the gift. It's beautiful. This is how Paul believed we should do church. And that's why every Sunday I say to you, you are the gifted body of Christ. Act like it. What are we going to do now? Make sense? Let's put me on the spot. You ready? Let's put me on the spot. Do you think I do, do, you think I do this adequately? Do you think I, uh, I keep this in front of you constantly? Know your gift. Function in your gift. Push, push, push. Do you think I do it enough? We need to do it more? What do you think? I think you do very well. Well, thank you, sir. I feel appreciated. Thank you. <laughs> I'm a leader now, by the way. Don't go into that tail soon. That's right. That's right. Yeah. I always want to do that, too. Thank you. But I always want to push this. I always, it's, it's the only thing that makes sense to me. I can't see any other way of doing it. I can't. So, uh, Do I talk? How about giving? Oh, brother, here it is, money. Here it comes. Here it comes. I, how, do I talk a lot about giving? No, I really don't. I think I gave a pretty heavy teaching you know, a few years ago, uh, but I say very little about it. 
Do I talk a lot about membership? You know, there, there, there are lots of churches, this is how they handle membership. That if you join, you become a member, the main perk that you get is you get to have voting rights during exclusive business meetings. Guy just grinned. <laughs> now that's special, Guy, now come on. Um, the problem is, is we don't have business meetings. So if you join Christchurch, you've got to do it for some unique motives. Okay. And I, you know, guy, I've been a part of some of the tiniest churches. My first staff position was at First Baptist Church, Tuckerman, Arkansas. And let me tell you the unique thing about Tuckerman, Arkansas. The mosquitoes there are so big, <coughs> they could stand flat-footed and kiss a turkey right on the mouth. <laughs> they were big mosquitoes, all right? If you blink, you miss Tuckerman. It's just a tiny little place right in the middle of the, of the rice fields. And the mosquitoes were horrific. It was a tiny little Baptist church. I've also been on staff at some of the largest churches in the state of Arkansas. Thousands and thousands of members. And guess what? It doesn't matter if you fill out a card and you get the t-shirt in the mail and you get voting privileges or any of those kinds of things. You know what it gets down to on the day-to-day, the Sunday-to-Sunday? Is where are your feet? Where's your feet? If your feet are not in church, where are you sitting? If you're not there and your heart's not not with you, then I don't think you're a member anyway because there's something about the heart. There's something about the loving bonds, the high accountability that comes with being a part of the body of Christ. So I tend to not push membership and I tend to not say a lot about giving. It goes without saying that somebody has to pay the lights, the light bill. And it's not right for, for a small group of people to carry the whole financial load. That's just not right. We all have to own this thing. That's, it's, it's common sense. It's like it, it goes without saying, and Paul is using actually Paul's language. So, All right, let's do it, people. You are the gifted body of Christ. If you're born again, His Spirit is inside of you. You're walking in the Spirit not the flesh, then His Spirit is at work in you to create the image of His Son in you. Therefore, I want you to take charge. I want you to take ownership. If we at Christ Church are going to take this seriously, then the gift of prophecy, of service, of teaching, of exhortation, of giving, of leading, and of mercy should be normative. That's just normal stuff at Christ Church. You're the gifted body of Christ. How do we make this real in our church today? What do we do? Amount. But a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins. 
in our materialistic, consumeristic society get trapped into thinking, well, it's only a good song if it sounded perfectly, or and all the notes were correct, or it's only a beautiful building if everything is arranged perfectly. Mm -hmm. That's the our total culture that we're immersed in. But we just have to back up and have a more godly eyesight perspective on it. Mm -hmm. That is so good, Andrea. Thank you. By the way, um, do you think, and what gift did Andrea just exercise? Exhortation. Think exhortation. Anybody else? Maybe some teaching in there? Good, Cherry. That's good. That's good. Keep going. How do we then live, John? So when you were talking about as a, how leaders have trouble, like that, um, one of the weaknesses is they put on the what the pouty pants. pants. All right. So okay, like I'm kind of in a role as a leader. It's not anything like crazy here, but I mean it's just kind of my life is like everywhere I go, I'm kind of in this role as a leader. So I don't, I don't know. I don't put on my pouty pants very often, but at home is where I just put them on like they're my pajamas. My, my pouty pants. Just pouty go. pajamas. Yeah, like pajamas. That's what I was gonna say. Yeah, it's like my pouty pants at home. Just it's just they're so natural. And the flannel feels great. So okay, I'm just like this is a question and a confession. That that's my struggle, and it's very relevant. Like on the way here, this is what we were talking about, and all weekend. So I guess I'm asking for some corporate counseling here. Okay, guess what, folks? This is this is the church <laughs> lie. This is the real deal. I'm serious. This, John. Yeah, thank I'm, you. I'm thank just you. being honest. I really. Do. Well, yeah, and we all need to be just like you on that. This is it. This is the body of Christ, all right? Now, you ready? I want you guys to exercise those gifts. What are you going to say to your brother, John? Stop whining. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, I received it. <laughs> There's merciful Jan right there. Merciful Jan. <laughs> and maybe, you know what? For being honest, Jan's got a point. Yeah. And I, I have a hunch. Mary Ann? Is that something similar to what you have told him? Like, get over it? Well, now that sounds familiar. <laughs> Keep going. There's more. All the gifts. Come on. You're the body of Christ. Be good looking. Use your gifts. What do you think? Chapter 4, or verse 4. For uh, just as we have many members, no one body, and all the members do not have the same function. John, you don't have all the skills. I don't. We are all dependent upon each other to get through life, if you will. It's the way it's supposed to be. We are social animals who need each other, and we should feel free, just as John has done, to say, hey, help me out with this. I'm a real good carpenter, but 
there's other things that I just can't do. And we need to recognize that and be willing, and Lord knows I'm not good at this, I need help. When Pastor Chris was talking about leaders needing that affirmative uh, reassurance, I have seen it uh, from commanding officers down to uh, chief petty officers on the bid uh, range. If they are not getting positive feedback, people that they are leading uh, deteriorate as the team. And we have to guard against this, against this. Uh, being in the positions where they were, they would rarely ask for help. I'm tough, I can go ahead, I can overcome this. And most of the times they couldn't. And as a result, uh, the efficiency of that particular organization suffered for it. Uh, we basically have to surrender ourselves to this beautiful body of Christ. At least that's for me is what it falls down to. And don't be afraid to say, hey, I'm not, I, I need some help trying to get through this day or this week coming up. That is so good. Jan? I have two things. First, we need to know what our gifts are. And I know there's tests or something that you might even have a link. Some people don't know what their gifts are. Or they may think they know, but it's not really what they are. So, second, for John, John, Frank and I have been going through this. For you, if you put your pally pants on at home, it's because you're comfortable and you don't feel like you're on yeah. display. Right. You can let yourself be who you are in front of Mary Ann. However, we, as Mary Ann, we have, as women, we have so many things going on with the kids. I work outside the home with the kids, with the groceries, with the laundry, with the... So when Frank gets home, sometimes if your pouty pants are on or his pouty pants are on, there's a reason that they're on. He's not feeling appreciated. He feels that he comes home and he's been leading, 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 and he gets home and it's just... Eh, 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 which, you know, I do. Frank, <laughs> right, I have a honeydew list. I mean, this, 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 and he's just like, ah! And he just is overwhelmed. And so Mary Ann, which I know you know, she needs, I, I'm not even going to say Mary Ann, I need to be more understanding of what he goes through at work in his, because he is a leader, Frank's a natural born leader. Mm -hmm. I don't always have the sympathy. I just want him to come home and do, do, do. I don't let him decompress or maybe even put his pouty pants on for a while and just throw it all at me before I say, oh, great, now shut up and let's do this. <laughs> um, just being honest. We've been having this issue. We've been talking with Pastor yeah. about this issue. Good. There you go. And it's it's a real hard thing, John, because you're just, you and Frank are so much alike that I don't know 
how you cannot put on your pouty pants when you get home because you guys do so much. So maybe Marianne or I need to be a little more understanding and let you decompress through that and then you'll take your pants off and be ready to be who you are again. Oh, never mind, John. We're going to put them in on this side of the room over here. All the it's all right here. Well, then Marianne doesn't have a chance. No. It's, yeah, it's, I don't even know how she does it, y'all. Like, I hear the things that I say when I'm talking. Tim, how about you, brother? It seems like, like Paul's picture of the church. Like, what's going on right here, but also, like, in the verses. Like, it, it ties in perfectly one thought from what we were talking about last week to what we're talking about right now. Of the, uh, you know, God has this insight that none of us have. He's got this knowledge that all of us have. Has anyone been his counselor? Okay, so so lay down your lives, right, and and give up to his gifts that he's given you. Okay, and their gifts of grace is is, is what they're referring to here. Right? And and you have to walk in faith and. To get at this idea here, but it's, these gifts aren't something that your mom gave you, okay? They're, they're from God. Uh, it, it's not like you graduated from high school and they gave you a test and it said, okay, here's your career uh, choices, these are your best options, okay? Here's, and, and here's a, your set of uh, gifts that you can go use in the religious establishment, okay? These are spiritual things that are. They're part of the new birth, the renewing of your mind. And, um, and, you know, maybe you have one when you're 20 and you have a different one when you're 40. Or, or you, you know, you grow up and you become this leader in the church in this sort of way. Like, like maybe Gordon, you know, he's this silent leader that leads a few men. And he disciples them and he grows them up. And, you know, that's something that's given to him by the Lord. And these gifts, there's something that working together. Like this is Paul's picture of the church of uh, it's, it's this awesome idea of him of the Lord giving us these things and then jiving with each other and us walking not in our own wants and desires but walking and fulfilling the needs of our brothers and sisters around us. And, and it being vulnerable with each other and mm -hmm. Tim, thank you thank you Jen you said something very very wise that when we do get our patty pants on our feelings are hurt for some reason there's a reason and if you can find out what the reason is you realize you can change your pants and you can get a, you can get a happy heart by the way, uh, even what Jan and Frank have alluded to already, just finding out the reason and then talking about it can create an immediate up uplift in your marriage. Just immediately. Things get better. And you realize your husband's not your enemy. You realize your wife's not your enemy. Just because you started having a healthy and safe conversation about the right things. You know the promise, guy, you know this, a flower is clothed with beauty to such a degree that Solomon can't outdress a flower, right? And birds eat well. 
God takes, he feeds birds and he clothes flowers. Will he not take care of you? But what if a man gets his patty pants on because he's worried about food and clothing? He may need to have that conversation. We need to get down to the root of the problem, why we're putting those britches on, and talk about it and find out, is there a scripture, is there a truth that can replace a lie? Like, for example, some people have core pathogenic belief. A pathogenic belief means they believe a lie. It's pathogenic. It's diseased in its root, a pathogen. Pathogenic belief that God will always fail you and God would leave you and neglect you because that's what everybody else in my life have always done, has always done, therefore I really can't trust God. Well, that's pathogenic belief. And in, in your inward core, if you really believe you're, you're suffering from long-term abandonment dynamics and now you are a grown adult and someone lets you down, you're going to start reliving the last 30, 40 years just like that, and you're going to get your britches on. Any particular style of pants you want to call them, pouty pants, depressive pants, it doesn't matter what it is. And it's your way of coping with a lot of pain. If we can get down to the root problem and start having healthy, sozophronine, safe thinking conversations about it, we realize we can get a lot better really fast. It's exciting. And it causes immediate uplift in the marriage, immediate uplift in parent-child relationships, and your home becomes a happy place again. Does it make sense? Guy, uh, Emily, you for Emily, please. Uh, I just wanted to encourage John that um, Mary Ann leads with diligence in her home in a way that challenges me as somebody that likes everything to look nice. She's always more concerned with the heart. And it, it challenges me in a holy way, not offensive, well, not intentionally offensive ever. But um, I'm always like, oh, she just goes right to the heart of things. So I would imagine that there's something holy being worked out there because it's so cross-cultural. Challenges me, and I don't live with her in a good way, like it challenges me. Like, I'm always like, I come away like, even yesterday, I was thinking about Mary, and I was like, man, she's just, she's just, her, you know, like, her kids may not be like this, the poster child for some fancy sorority or, you know, the Southern Belle, but like, they're gonna get it right. Like, it's not about me, it's about Christ, it's not about keeping everything perfect on the outside, it's about serving and like I feel like there's there's a model there of servanthood. Mm. I just want to encourage you that God gave you something good. Yeah. And like you married us, John. And I could see that it would be challenging because I'm like you and that I like things to yeah. 
yeah. be in my mind. Yeah, the grid. Yeah. yeah. She's yeah. off grid in the best yeah. way. Guy. Yeah. At the risk of sounding like a broken record, um, we need to think of the context of what Paul is uh, talking about here. And when we look at this, uh, we're many members of one body. Um, my body is all stuck together all the time. My hand doesn't live in a different house mm -hmm. than my other hand. And I think uh, if we were to, if, if we were to hear about a culture where they believe that uh, a marriage, that a man and woman who are married, they only need to get together once a week. They only need to be together to talk, you know, to have uh, intimacy. All the, all the various things that make up a marriage, would we, would we as outsiders look at that and go, that's a pathogenic deception. That whole culture is under. Uh, is it possible? that we in our American culture of church, American church culture, believe pathogenic lies, that this, that what we're doing right now, we only need it once a week. Mm -hmm. I mean, like, if we, were, if we were really living together all the time, John would have, we would have smacked, like, you're here, but you have to, it's okay, I quit it. Because we would be living together so closely that I would see him with his fabric pants on and say, dude, man up. Or, dude, what's going on over here that's broken that you need healing for to stop being that way? I'm not going to pick on you because I got fatty pants, too. I got a whole closet. Oh, man. Yeah. And do you make her wash and fold your body? Yes. Oh, that's awful. I don't even wash my body. That's a whole other thing. Yeah, man, it's bad. But, a lot of the men are squirming, by the way. <laughs> That's a lot I think what we've settled into here in America is that what we have is just what it is. Um, and, and after living overseas and uh, traveling to many different nations, many different peoples, and, and observing Christ's body in these various places, that I see a difference in what we have and what we've settled for, the, the, the pathogenic deception that we are under, uh, is, is in stark contrast to what, what I've seen, what we've seen around the world in places where village still exists, which is what the context is for this. So these people may not have had official meetings like this every day, but they had little ones, and you had this sort of a, a morphing constant. They didn't do anything beyond the, uh, I don't know, 30, 40 minutes of a walk. Yeah. And I think if we raised our hands here, just of anybody who has two other families that they're within reasonable walking distance of where they live, I mean, how many hands would go up? Like, we are separated. And I think that that is a, that, that, that this context, it doesn't fit world that we live in, the, the deception that the enemy has created, and I know it sounds like complete, you know, like, sounds like I'm like, hey, we ought to go be, uh, you know, wear black hats and ride <coughs> carts and buggies. I'm not saying that, but, but we need to recognize that there's something wrong with the context in which we, the filter that we read these things, and, and think that we're okay. Mm -hmm. that this can really fit to its optimal 
degree in, in the context that we live. I mean, this is a perfect example, John being honest like this, and, and then us having a discussion about it. Mm -hmm. I mean, these are the kinds of things in a, in a real familial uh, village context would be would be addressed. Mm -hmm. And I said all that to just say I'm not. They, our context is messed up. Yeah. And we live. We do live in a, a pathogenic uh, worldview. Mm -hmm. It's That's a good context to what we read in scripture, right. and not just in scripture, but what can be seen and observed and what is happening. Vibrantly alive, body of Christ, yeah. in so many places in the world. Mm -hmm. and we have to decide are we really willing to give up specific worldly aspects of our lives mm -hmm. to be the body of Christ because I don't think any of us want to stand before the throne today and say, Man, I just so enjoyed my house way out there by myself. I so enjoyed my expensive cars when I could have. Like, I've seen cars that are worth more than our house. It just, it, it boggles my mind. And I think that our minds will be boggled when we're standing before Jesus one day. And he asks us, mm -hmm. how did you give? Did you give liberally? How did you teach? Mm -hmm. How did you prophesy? How did you, how did you live your life as a body? Were you, you know, were you a fingernail, you know, in war Arkansas and to be a, you know, part of a tell that was from Bryant. You know what I'm saying? That's like, like, I think we have to be honest about some of these things. And, and the only resolution to it is, whoever has ears to hear, let them listen to what the Spirit is saying to the church. Mm -hmm. I've been in a lot of different churches. I've seen a lot of, I think this body is probably about the closest that will surrender and allow Jesus' spirit to really begin to do those kinds of things, that we just won't look like the world. Yeah. And we'll look like this. And this will begin to make sense. And this is when, when the body is beautiful, the bride is gorgeous. Yeah. Branson? Yeah. Um, just to piggyback off of what God is saying, it's like, I'm not sure where it says this, but it says they met together daily, or meet together daily so that you won't be deceived by sin Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and then again, Acts, this is 2, 6, every day they continued to meet together in, in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added their number daily, those who were being saved. Mm -hmm. And it's like, man, I, I was, we were really privileged when we were in college to just be in such a, a greenhouse, you know, where everything and everyone is just proximity to one another before we just get together every day, be it in the library, be it in, you know, somebody's apartment, whatever, and just have just the ecclesia of being lived out, you know, um, just like it's being here, and uh, like, I mean, not everybody here is within a mile radius of one another, mm -hmm. you know, so obviously that's different, and I'm, we, we're new here, so we're, we haven't been able to really see people's lives being lived out Yeah, I, like absolutely. Guys.
Absolutely. That's so good. John, thank you. Thank you. Yes, Charity. Um, I, I know I'm no one to give advice. If anything, I need advice. Um, but I think, number one, it's really brave of you as a leader. Because part of the leader to admit failure or admit that you are having trouble leading, especially if that's your gift that's God given it, that, that God has given you. But I think one thing that's really important is that God's not going to give you anything that you can't handle. And if you feel like you you can always reach out to him. It's, I think it's really imperative about the societal inflection of this um, passage in fly. And that, that part is really important. That's what tied everything together for, for me. Because we're raised, unfortunately, in a society where we are so reliant on physicality. We're physical beings. We're around physical beings. And they will obviously leave. You know? But God will never do that. It's good to reach out to people that God puts in your life. Reach out to him. He gave you this gift. Pray to him. Pray to him for strength. Like, he wouldn't give you this gift if you didn't know you could handle it. So, mm -hmm. that's, that's so good, Charity. You know, something I'm grateful for is texting. I'm so grateful for it. Uh, yesterday, uh, the Holy Spirit spoke to me, and I texted a dear friend uh, way out of town. And uh, he bounced a text back, and he gave me the cue to call. So I made the call, and he said, Chris, how did you know to text me right then? Guy, it wasn't within the hour. It was in the minute. It got right down to a critical, critical moment in his life where he felt like the, the sky was falling in on him. It was a bad moment. And it was all the Holy Spirit. Two hours later, somebody from Christ Church sends me a text. To the minute, it is exactly what I needed. And it moved me to tears. Uh, by the way, Guy and everyone else, we'll, we'll get to it in a few years. We'll get to Romans 16, <laughs> the last chapter. And I, go ahead and read it in advance. And I want you to study the geography of the city of Rome and know that there are many, many churches spread over that city. Watch the tension on how they, drew it, how they try to do intimate village communal life, but how they deal with the distancing of geography. Look at what plays out in Romans 16. Really fascinating. But guys, on to something. The hard work of staying connected in relationship. Man, texting is a great tool that we can use. Emails, a phone call, or intentionally sharing meals together at night among folks in your neighborhood. And, and literally trying to do life together as you can. Yeah, Danny. Um, I think that with leaders, both the leaders at home, men at home, and leaders abroad, the temptation is to want that affirmation safe space or supposed to be your wife is supposed to be your safe zone or whatever you come home and that's not the case well the truth is the only safe place is Christ yeah. that's he's supposed to be your safe place people are going to fail you yeah. so to come home and put that expectation on your wife or your home or whatever this is supposed to be a certain way it's a lie yeah, yeah. so Danny are you saying <laughs> are you saying that spouses make poor saviors and poor therapist, by the way. Yeah. They do. It just doesn't work well. Do you think Danny spoke as a prophet? Yeah. Not hard, people. Yeah. Not hard. Guess what? <clears throat> we are about to sing love songs to our Savior. We are about to put to words 
a heart of gratefulness for these kinds of gifts that make his bride beautiful. He is preparing the wedding banquet hall. He's building a mansion. It's amazing what he's doing. Please know that he loves you. Please know that. Let me pray and we're going to jump right into worship. Father, thank you so much for each person that's functioned out of their gifts and they obeyed. And I pray that John's faith was built up and Marianne as well. Thank you so much that faith and hope and love are made real through what you've done uh, in our lives through Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray that you help us to sing with all our hearts and not hold anything back and not be ashamed or embarrassed by you. Please, Father, bless as we worship you as your bride and catch the look of your eye. Please, in Jesus' name, amen.